I want to start by telling you guys a little bit about what my life looks like these days. And so I have two daughters and a wife. So Sam is my wife, and then we have two little girls together. And I brought a picture of them to show you guys. Um, on the left there is my daughter, Rowan, and she is about five months old right now. This picture is a few months old, but she's about five months old, and she is just the sweetest, nicest, happiest baby I've ever met in my entire life. Like, when we go to get her up in the morning, she doesn't cry. Like, she's just sitting there smiling and laughing at us. She's amazing. She's perfect. And I think God knew that we needed a really easy baby because he also gave us the one on the right up there. <laughs> that is our little toddler, Emery. And she is about three years old now. And Emery is like in the thick of the terrible twos right now. In fact, I hear from a lot of people that the threes are even worse than the twos. And I am like, gosh, I hope not. Um, but we're in the thick of that right now. And uh, my wife, Sam, is a wedding photographer, and so every Saturday during the summer, she's often away around the state shooting different weddings, and so I get to spend my Saturdays alone babysitting these two, although you're not supposed to say babysitting when you're a dad. You're, you're watching your own kids, but I'm with these two on Saturdays, and a couple weeks ago, Emery decided that it would be really fun for her to steal my wallet from me. And she proceeded to take all of the credit cards, my license, everything out of this, and could disperse them throughout the house, which wasn't a big deal at the time. I was like, you know, she takes my phone and my wallet all the time, so I didn't think much of it until we had to leave a few hours later. So I get the kids in the car, and I start looking for my license and my wallet and my credit cards. And I find the license in one of the cards pretty quickly. Uh, but then I proceed to search for the next 10 minutes while the kids are in the car. And I'm like, I should probably bring them back inside if I'm going to be searching for a while. And so I search for the next 10 minutes and then for the next hour and then the next two hours. And I cannot find these stupid cards anywhere. I mean, I am pulling apart toy bins and lifting up the couch and unzipping couch cushions and like looking everywhere for these stupid credit cards that my monster daughter hid from me. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give it up. And so we left and came back. And my wife later that night started helping me look for these as well. And we still could not find them. Two days passed and I still cannot find these cards. I mean, I am tearing the house apart looking for these things. But one day, just a few days after that, my sister was over at our house. She's hanging out with us. And she casually comes walking up to me. She's like, hey, Brad, are these your two credit cards? And I'm like, where did you find those? And she was like, they were just sitting on top of the baby swing, like right out in the open. And I'm like, what? I lifted up that baby swing to look for these cards. And all along, they were sitting there right in the open. They were hiding in plain sight. And I thought to myself, why? Why did I have such a hard time finding these stupid credit cards? And what I realized is that my perspective drove the way that I looked for these cards. You see, I believed that these cards would be hidden in a really hard-to-find place, and I didn't even think that they could be hiding right out in the open. And for much of our lives, our perspective, the way we view things, the way we think about things, actually drives our reality. It drives our behavior. It drives what we do. Perspective is a powerful, powerful thing in our lives. I'm a big fan of the show, The Office, and one of the most profound quotes ever said in The Office happened on the very last episode. One of the characters says this. He says, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. 
You see, one day I'm going to miss the days when my daughter steals my credit card and actually doesn't spend money when she steals it. (laughs) I'm going to miss these days. I'm going to miss the perspective that I have on these days, and I'm going to want these days back. You see, perspective is a really, really powerful thing. It drives so much of our lives, but at the same time, perspective, it's one of the easiest things for us to lose in life. It's one of the most elusive things in our life. It's so hard to keep hold of and to maintain. And so what I want to talk to you guys about today is how do we live as people with perspective? How do we maintain and hold on to accurate, good, true perspective every single day of our lives? Because it does. It influences our behavior. It influences our beliefs. It actually drives our realities. So we're going to look at a character in the Bible today that is most likely very well known to most of you, Moses. And and the story that we're going to look at today is a pretty familiar story of Moses. And so before we jump into the text here, I want to just give you a brief setup for what's happening. Moses' life is divided into essentially three 40-year sections. So for the first 40 years, he spends his life as royalty in Egypt. And then he flees Egypt and ends up in a place called Midian. And he becomes a shepherd for the next 40 years of his life. And then the final 40 years, he is a deliverer. He goes and he frees the people of Israel um, that are living in slavery in Egypt. The story that we're going to look at today is a familiar story from Moses' life where he's in the second period of his life. He's in the shepherding phase of his life. And he's about 80 years old when this story happens. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. Verses 1 through 5, and and the words will be on the screen, and feel free to pull out your phone and and look it up on there. But Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now some scholars say that this is actually the mountain where Moses brought the Israelite people, Horeb or Sinai. Um, where they, they experience covenant with God and they receive the law from God. But he is tending flocks at Horeb, the mountain of God. And there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said back, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, I've heard this story many, many times throughout my life. I actually was just, for fun, watching the movie Prince of Egypt last night, um, which, is, which is a little old. But um, in every depiction of that story that I've seen, there's like this, this magnificent burning bush, either with like blue flames or like super obvious that it would grab Moses' attention. But, but that's actually not a fully accurate depiction of the burning bush. You see, for Moses, in this region, in this area, a burning bush would have not been a super uncommon sight for him to see. In fact, in this wilderness region, uh, bushes, dry bushes like this would become electric static. 
And if something brushed up against the bush, like an animal, or caused something to cause a spark, bushes would, would light on fire. They'd, they'd burn. But what was really unique about this bush is that Moses noticed that it was burning, but it was unique because it wasn't being consumed by the fire. It wasn't burning up. Now, we live in Michigan, and, and we're at the end of summer here. And how many of you guys have, have sat around a campfire at some point this summer? Most of us, probably, or at least some point in our lives. Well, this might surprise you, but I'm not much of a Boy Scout. I think I've built, like, one fire in my entire life. But I, I do know a thing or two about fires. And what I know is that when you're sitting around a fire and you're watching logs burn, what happens to them? They become consumed, right? They become ash. There's a chemical change that happens in the logs. How long do you think it would take you to notice, sitting around a fire, that a log was burning, but it wasn't being consumed? It wasn't turning to ash. It was just kind of burning. It, it wouldn't be like a, a couple seconds before you notice that, right? It'd be a few minutes, maybe 20 minutes, if you're, if you're not a very observant person like me. Um, but to, but to notice this, Moses, to notice this bush is burning, but it's not being consumed, that's more than just a one-take thing. That was a two-take or a three-take thing. It took Moses slowing down long enough to notice that there was something unique about this particular bush that was on fire. There was something different about it. Verse 4 says this, When the Lord saw that Moses went over to look, then he spoke. Like it was after Moses noticed something unique about the bush that God decided to speak to Moses out of the bush. One rabbi comments on this passage, and he says something so brilliant about this. This is the commentary of a Jewish rabbi. He says, the burning bush was not a miracle. It was a test. God wanted to find out whether Moses could pay attention to something for more than a few minutes. And when Moses did, God spoke. The trick is to pay attention to what is going on around you long enough to behold the miracle without falling asleep. There is another world right here within this one whenever we pay attention. You see, the story of the scriptures, literally from beginning to end, is not just about a God who exists out there in some esoteric or spiritual realm. The story of our scriptures is that there is a God who makes his dwelling among us. And he does this again and again and again throughout the narrative of scripture. A God who is not just out there, but a God who is right here, moving in us and among us and through us. And when Moses notices this, the whole atmosphere changes. Could it be that in your life, in your day-to-day, -day, there are burning bushes all around you? That God is constantly speaking. He's constantly moving. He's constantly acting. And yet, as people, as a society, we are too efficient and too busy and too fast-moving to see it or notice it. God finds someone in Moses who is willing to slow down long enough to see that there is something unique about this common sight. And when he does, God speaks and he calls him to one of the greatest adventures that he could ever go on. Now notice, going back to the text here, 
in verse 5, something else happens next. When God speaks to Moses, he says, do not come any closer. Like, stay where you're at. Because the ground that you're standing on right now is holy ground. In fact, remove your shoes because this is holy ground. Holy ground in this passage is characterized by two really important things. Number one, holy ground is characterized by God's presence in that place. But the other part of holy ground is that it is also characterized by Moses' awareness of that presence. God speaks when Moses becomes aware of his presence. Now you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know already that God is present. That he is all around. That he is both powerfully and intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. But what's often missing for God to move is our awareness of that presence in our day-to-day lives, even in the boring parts of our lives and the painful parts of our lives. We often miss it. We often miss that God is present in every part of our lives. And so when Moses comes into awareness of God's presence, like we said, he, God moves and he speaks and he does something powerful in Moses' life. Now, if you know the story of Moses, you know that, uh, that God calls him and he goes to Egypt and there's a variety of plagues and, and signs and wonders and eventually Pharaoh lets the Israelites go. And they go and they arrive to this, this giant Red Sea that they can't cross. And, and, and one of the things that is so spectacular is that Moses actually, God through Moses parts the Red Sea and the Israelites walk across. Now, in Jewish tradition, there's actually a really interesting legend uh, that is told about this Red Sea crossing. Uh, Jewish tradition is very oral, and so they have different legends and parables that they, they pass down. And one of the stories that they share about this Red Sea crossing that is so interesting to think about is the story of two guys named Reuben and Shimon. Now, Reuben and Shimon, like the rest of the Israelites, crossed the Red Sea. They crossed, and, and, and what Jewish tradition says is that this is one of the greatest miracles that God ever performed. In fact, a, a common Jewish person in this moment, as God parts the Red Sea, would have witnessed more than even Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and some of the prophets. I mean, they were beholden to some of the most miraculous wonders of God in this moment when he parts the Red Sea. Yet for Reuben and Shimon, when they're crossing the sea according to this legend, they step in, and there's, there's mud, and there's muck, and there's mire, and, and they start to grumble to each other. And they say, this is no different than, than, the, than being in Egypt. This is no different than our circumstance when we were there. It would be good just to be back in Egypt because this is, this is gross, and this is disgusting. And what they fail to realize by not looking up is that there are people who have already crossed that are singing and rejoicing and experiencing this incredible miracle. Yet for these two guys in this legend, the miracle never happened. It never made its way into their heart because all they were focused in on is the muddy ground that they were stepping in. And the reason I share about that legend this morning is because I think that's so often how at least sometimes I live my life, is that I'm so focused on the mud and the dirt that I'm walking on, that I fail to look up and see that God is all around me, that God is doing miraculous things, that God is doing incredible things in my life and in the lives of people I know and love. 
but I'm so preoccupied on, on the ground that I'm walking that I fail to see that it actually is holy ground. And so I believe that, that there are two perspectives that, that you and I can have on life. There are two perspectives that we can have. The first one is a perspective that I often take, which is, which is flawed, and that's this. That the holy is mundane. The holy is mundane. This, this was the problem that, in this legend, Reuben and Shimon had. That it was just another part of life. In fact, even sometimes when I come to church on a Sunday morning, I, I feel like I approach God casually sometimes. Without the reverence and the awe that he is due. When Moses experiences God at the burning bush, there is wonder and reverence and awe and trembling. He experiences all that God has for him in this moment, and it is a powerful, powerful thing to see. And yet so often, I think we live in a world where it's so easy to treat the holy parts of our life as if they are just mundane. I'm just as thankful as as everyone else in this room to live in a place where we experience religious freedom, but sometimes I wonder if that works against us for seeing God work and God move. Sometimes I wonder if the ease in which it is to be a Christian in our country, in our city, actually sometimes prohibits us from seeing God move in miraculous ways in our life. And we often treat the holy as if it's just a mundane other part of life. But what would happen in your life if your perspective shifted? What would happen if instead of viewing the holy as mundane, what would happen if you viewed the mundane as holy? What would happen if you viewed the mundane parts of your life, the Monday morning parts of your life, as holy ground? How might your life look different? How might your awareness of God's movement and miracles in your life change if you started to live with perspective that the mundane parts of life, the boring parts of life, even the painful lights of parts of life are exploding with holy potential, exploding with a God who is ready to move and act and speak to you at any given moment. You see, because of the person of Jesus, the holiness of God is accessible to every single one of us. And because of the Holy Spirit, we just wrapped up a series on the Holy Spirit last week. Because of the Holy Spirit's presence, his holiness is all around us. We just sang about that a few minutes ago. God, give us an awareness of your presence in this place. Even when I think about the fact that we often say in church, God is here among us. Like God's presence is in this room. Have you ever thought about how profound that statement is? That the God of the universe is here right now with us, speaking to us, dwelling among us, moving on our behalf and loving us intimately. So what does it mean for us as people in our day-to-day lives, in busy seasons? I know all of us are in a really busy season right now. What does it mean for us to live as though holy ground is all around us? I would say this, and if you write one thing down or if you're taking notes, write this one thing down and take this away, and that's this. What you're looking for determines what you see. What you're looking for 
determines what you see? Are you looking for God in the everyday stuff of life? Are you looking for God on, in Monday mornings when, when you're going to a job that maybe you don't love? Are you looking for God when you're rushing kids, your kids off to school in the morning? Are you slowing down enough in your life to see God speak and to see him move in some of the most subtle ways? I brought one question that I think we can, we be, can begin to ask ourselves every single day that I think helps us live with this perspective. And the question is this, where did I see God today? Where did I see God today? If you're a family that eats dinner together, make that a practice in your family to ask that question. Ask your kids, where did you see God move today? Ask yourself, where did I see God today? And you know what my fear is, this is me getting vulnerable, my fear is that if I'm not looking for that, my answer is going to be, I didn't see God today because I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't seeking him. I wasn't looking for him to speak in the, in the mundane moments of my life. I wasn't looking for him to speak in the stressful moments of my life. You see, my friends, what you're looking for determines what you're going to see and it determines what you're going to experience in the day-to-day stuff of life. And so what will we do is, is we will look as a church, we will look for God in the everyday stuff of life, and we will see him move. I promise you that. Uh, I'm going to close with a story here, but I, I, I started practicing this, like really intentionally this last week in my life. And like most of you, I had a really busy week. It was full of some stressful moments. It was full of some um, boring moments and some mundane moments. But in asking myself this question every single day, where did I see God today? Man, I experienced him in some really powerful moments in what would have been an ordinary week. Monday, I had a conversation with Renee. And hearing her perspective on life and how her and Tom are experiencing God right now, man, God was in that. Tuesday, I was putting my little monster toddler down to bed at night. And part of our rhythm is, is we take time to pray and to read her little Jesus storybook Bible at night. For the first time this last week, she asked if she could pray. Seeing your little three-year-old girl pray, man, that is a holy ground moment. That is a moment where God is in that place seeing her cry out to Jesus in the most innocent three-year-old way that she could. Man, that is holy ground, and I wouldn't see it if I wasn't looking for that. Wednesday, I had coffee with a mentor, and he's grieving the loss of his mom right now. He's in a really painful season. And as we spent time talking and crying and grieving together, we experience God's comfort and his closeness in a powerful way on Wednesday morning. Thursday. Thursday was a hard day for me. It was stressful. It was busy. And I had a friend call me out of the blue on Thursday night. And we just had an hour and a half long conversation that was full of love and accountability and, and godly friendship. 
God was in that place. And I could go on and on and on for every day of my week where I saw God move this week. Because I reoriented my perspective and I was looking for him this week. So that's my challenge for you guys this morning. As you go, as as school starts up again and maybe sports are starting up again for kids in your life, look for God every day. Look for burning bushes. When you do, you will experience holy ground in your life and your perspective will begin to change. You will live a life that is more grateful. Live a life that's more full of joy. You'll be a more patient person, a more humble person. God will move on your behalf. Let's pray together. God, we believe this morning that you are in this place. You are the God that laid the foundations of this earth. But that you're also interested in our Monday morning and our Tuesday and our Wednesday and every single day of our lives, God. God, I pray that we will be the type of people that are awoken to an awareness of your presence in the everyday stuff of our lives. That we won't be people that are too productive too efficient, too busy, and too fast-moving to see that there are burning bushes all around, that you are constantly trying to get our attention. So God, we thank you this morning for who you are. God, our response, the reason that we gather this morning is to simply be awoken to an awareness of your presence and to worship you as a result with our lives. people said.